Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to the Investor Hour podcast. I'm your host Rahul Goel. The goal of this podcast is to learn from the best investment minds of our times. We want to learn their backstory, essentially what makes them them. We want to learn how they make their decisions in their personal lives, and of course. we want to learn about their core principles of investing essentially a lot of learning that could help you make better decisions in life and investing alok jain's journey is fascinating his education spanned from a government school to a top us university and his entrepreneurial ventures from broking to a pioneering independent research initiative weekendinvesting.com and yes what is kept him going all along is a set of values captured in a few lines of a prayer listen in so alok welcome uh, to the uh, investor hour thank you rahul thank you so much it's, it's uh, wonderful to be you know on your show once again once again and yes once yeah. again and uh, given the marquee names that you've had on your show so far i am feeling a bit humbled and uh, surprised that you've invited me but nevertheless thank you very much <laughs> as always as always very understated no it's it's a privilege and honor to have you and you add a lot of value and uh uh the aura to the show if you will uh i think uh, i think the world has changed in a way where uh you know uh, people have very strong followings which can now be measured so the perception is now reality in many senses and when i look at uh, in uh, uh, what you've done over the last several our uh, last many years actually i think we first met what 5 years ago 6 years ago possibly i mean uh, yeah. my, my journey in in the current avatar started in 2016 so Very maybe cool. a couple of years after, after that met, after that yeah, yeah 2018 maybe yeah and it's been stupendous stupendous and i, I i've seen you on twitter for sure <laughs> we met couple of times but on twitter i've seen you more regularly Yes, and yes. You got a band of followers, right? And they're just growing and growing and growing, and you know, I wish you all the success for that. Thank you. Uh, and and you've always been telling me that Equity Master needs to get their Twitter right, <laughs> or Twitter or some social media, you know, where you can have a strong uh, hold yeah. over things. I mean, and I think this is just purely content-driven um, sort of uh, following. Uh, yeah. I never intended or planned. Yes. Uh, you know, to have this. Uh, in fact, uh, I think when I started Twitter, uh, that was around 2016. Although I I had an account since 2010, but I never could use it because Twitter somehow, when you first go to that platform, it is intimidating. You are unable to figure out what is retweeting. How do you you know do things? How do you reply? So on so forth. At least it, it was to me in 2010, and so I made an account and I never used it. and then sometime in 2016 i started to use it and uh, you know it seemed getting 200 followers would be a great thing you know uh, uh, to have and then 2000 and then 20000 and it just kept rolling on and on and on yeah. and uh, the interaction with a lot of people there uh, a lot of youngsters in fact especially uh, that gives you a lot of uh, you know sort of a feedback loop as to what people are thinking how they are approaching the markets what is that gap in the market that needs that's right uh, that's to be addressed right. yeah. 
so, so, so it's almost like one on one interaction happening at all times at all know, sort times. of yeah, sure. so that's the beauty of social so i'm not much of a social media guy i don't mm-hmm. do much in mm-hmm. fact the other day i was trying to post on twitter that uh, we just recorded an investor hour with saurabh mukherjee it took me like few minutes to type it out <laughs> because i'm wondering what should i say how should i say it yeah. and the pressure of the limit of characters or whatever correct, it correct, uh, correct 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 uh, uh, i don't know but but the power of social media is that it's taken over the middlemen who are going to interpret what people think yes yes now you are in full command you know what people are thinking doing saying and then now the 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 decision the the value add is shifted to the decision making hmm. as against interpreting what people think that's right that's right and so right yeah yeah so again now i would say uh, while we can look at it analytically from that perspective mm-hmm. it's more of uh, from, at least in my case it is more of you know going with the flow kind of a thing where uh, uh, the business dynamics is not really driving me what i or how i do it on twitter but i just enjoy being there you know it's just like an it's just like penning down my thoughts yeah. without really bothering you know who will get offended or who may you know not like it you have a thick skin <laughs> <laughs> you have to get have have thick skin yeah, yeah. and uh, and uh, and and of course uh, prior to this i had never sort of you know uh, done much of writing mm-hmm. so this is in fact a very good sort of format of writing things down what you're thinking and that of course also helps you in clarifying or you know deepening the thoughts uh, that you have and of course it's also a you know a confirmation loop uh so so that can also take you in a wrong direction of course but uh, but it's great to read a lot about you know what 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 other thoughts are there and then you know write about that so i think it's a good it's a good exercise yeah yeah and i and yeah, you know i do find myself reading stuff on twitter you know, usually i prefer long form mm. so i'm usually trying to read that but uh, often i go to twitter and you're right and you've nudged me so many times on twitter right that you yes. can get a lot of uh, good news over there good information good thoughts in terms of news uh, twitter is the fastest uh, media where you get the news so any breaking news anything flashing coming out twitter fastest. will be the first place yeah yeah and that that would matter a lot to people uh, who want to be aware etc etc and also who are uh, who are tracking movements which can have near term impact let's yes. say let's yes. say in your case you know uh, uh, you built a fantastic uh, franchise called weekend investing uh and uh what amazes me is that uh when i first read about it i think it was a piece written on maybe money control money control came out with an article in uh, january 2018 18 i think yeah. that was a piece i read and uh, the way the way you did it was so amazing you are still trading right but you're doing it in a way which is so calm yeah yeah uh, so Yeah. I I I would think that uh, you know all that has come out of just experiencing the pain of uh, uh, you know investing slash trading over the years in the sense that I started in ninety five so you know long journey since then mm-hmm. uh, so seen the bull market of two uh, thousand then two thousand eight before that crashes in two thousand four two thousand one two thousand eight. i was like you know i make a lot of money each time and i lose it all or at least most of it so what am i doing wrong here you know it's not a compounding well for me mm-hmm. so that brought me to the uh, level of thinking as to 
you know you need to make money but then you need to also you know not lose it all and and, and you need to have exits and uh, you know given that uh, and more so now in the last 5 7 years i mean the world is becoming a very uh, destructive or i may say it it a place where uh, you know things are moving very fast uh, trends are changing very fast the longevity of companies uh, would have dramatically reduced over the decades and there are studies in the us have come down from four decades to one and a half decade or something like that the average age so if that's the kind of disruption that can happen then how can i you know sort of buy and hold for a decade or two decades and uh, and work with that and i've tried that uh, but it was just not my sort of you know type of thing to because maybe i was so close to the market at all times i was in the broking business uh, i could not really you know hold on for uh, for for 5 years 10 years on a stock which is you know dipping 80% in front of me so 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 i sort of uh, went back and said then can i devise a mechanism where at least i reduce my pain even if it is at the cost of reducing some returns Interesting. So, uh, so yeah. So so okay. So we're going to talk a, a lot about okay. that today, of okay. course. Okay. Okay. Uh, but uh, let's start from pre ninety five. So let's start with the most fundamental thing. Where did Alok grow up? Where were his formative years spent? So formative years spent in Delhi. Uh, uh, born and brought up in Delhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was a a, a central government uh, employee. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. transferable position so moved to kanpur for some time then later to bhilai uh, so that uh, moved to bhilai actually in in i think in my 11th grade mm-hmm. and i just went there for the summer because i didn't want to change schools uh, while i was uh, in the 10th grade uh, so i just went there and i found a fantastic ecosystem where you know kids were and bhilai is a steel city as you know so you know the very small the sale plant is there sale plant is there yeah, yes among other things yeah. and i found kids there you know so uh, sort of focused on uh, let's say preparing for the iits and you know focus groups and uh, you know uh, very uh, uh, great results from even uh, the public schools there uh, the government schools so over the summer i had a fantastic experience interacting with those guys and i said you know in my delhi school in the last 5 years nobody's got into iit i was at air force bal bharti and there was hardly any score there and in here you know in the government schools everybody's it seemed like that you know that all the kids are going through whoever is really working hard so i said why not uh, you know use this opportunity my father is already here so i moved from delhi to bilai uh, for 2 years uh, and joined a government school there and uh, believe me not we were i think 25 kids in that class and 10 of us came to iit so so the kind of people that i was interacting with was amazing i mean there was a core group of 10 kids we used to go to a maths class together and two two guys in this group of 10 used to say that we'll top the iit they had the kind of confidence, confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the exam and this is bhilai this is in a government school yes this is I mean, not like a high five private coaching nothing training. nothing this nothing is, nothing wow. private coaching yes from yeah. local teachers but yeah, yeah. fantastic yeah. teachers you know yeah. mm-hmm. and charging nothing basically for 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 imparting that education mm-hmm. so one guy used to say you know i'll come first the other guy said ana to mujhe bhi first hai but uh, you know since you'll come first i'll come second <laughs> and believe me not those guys actually came second and fifth oh my god wow. i mean 
it's a crazy stat actually to to 100000 people sitting for that exam and to have that confidence that i'll be coming first in this exam so those were the kind of you know brains that were brushing which off year, which year was this this was uh, 1986 1986 wow. so i i guess something brushed off on me as well and i was, was also pushed into iit with along <laughs> with them and uh, the, the famous story of diffusion right <laughs> yeah <laughs> because when you when you are sitting and you know discussing and and problem solving with these kind of brains some something is will come out and and you know uh, benefit you yeah. so and what do you do at iit what were you uh, so uh, i wanted to do mechanical engineering but uh, i couldn't get it through at, at iit delhi so i chose uh, chemical engineering uh, post that and uh, not not a big jump between chemical engineering and investing that's very close actually <laughs> <laughs> we'll so, <talk. laughs> so so at that point i think i had no clue about the stock markets or investing mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. much after that in fact mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, just like you know a, uh, a a flow was there you know everybody is going to the us for, for further studies i also went uh, without really thinking that what i will eventually do so i went for a masters in biotechnology um i was doing that my my advisor my research advisor was very happy with my research he said alok why don't you do a phd now after two years in the us and at that moment it was sort of my turning point where i said you know where am i headed i mean this is not what i really wanted to do in life and if i do a phd here i'll probably get stuck in the us you know teaching some academic somewhere or some research and this is not really my calling so my my intent is to go back home and uh, and uh, you know maybe uh, look for a decent position or decent job there so i just walked to to the mba school in the same campus i was i was at university of maryland and i went to the dean's office and i said uh, that i want to do an mba and he said but you don't have a gmat score and this and that and i said i don't have even have money to pay for the mba so he said okay alok if you get a gmat score of 750 i'll give you a tuition waiver so i just studied for a month month and a half and i was able to get that score got into the mba program there was a dual degree program in masters of science uh, in finance uh, did that came back in uh, to india in 95 uh, at that point of time uh, nse was getting formed uh, they had come 94, out 94 94 94 was when they started, actually yeah. came out with the ad mm-hmm. uh, in the papers and uh, my father uh, just like most other government uh, employees was also interested in stocks etc they used to he used to invest a little bit uh, so he suggested why don't I, i mean you are anyways coming back home and i was also interviewing with mckinsey to uh, you know have a position here in delhi but uh, somehow it was just like a startup at that time so we got together two or three investors and uh, put in 20% 30% of our own money and started off uh, a, a stock brokerage house uh, so that was the start of uh, that journey and which year was this brokerage house again 95 this this was 95. yeah yeah formed in 95 started in 96 i think yes 96, 96 march so here's and, a, yeah. yeah so here's a question i want to ask now you studied in various schools including a government school right and uh, did you at any point in time feel disadvantaged when you let's say when you go to the us the communication etc etc the you know because i think a, a lot of people have a perception that government schools don't usually impart full education for the full like growing up of the child the the, the person the understanding the language the you know the, uh, the the communication and everything how did how was that experience for you and how did it 
help or not help you as you went along in your career i would say my experience with the government school was better than the private school that i was at in delhi in terms of i mean it's all about the network around you you know the kind of students you are interacting with uh, the kind of atmosphere uh, the teachers are sort of enabling you to get into so maybe belai was an exception where those teachers were you know tuned to the idea that we if we allow these kids to you know sort of do their own thing at home study hard uh, for their iits they will go through and we don't have to do much at school here but uh, i think it's all about uh, the network or the camaraderie that you have yeah. and 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 yes i think uh, the 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 fact about uh, the the point that uh, our schools are not so focused on communication skills or personal skills uh, i think that really makes a difference when you when you are sort of in a culturally different environment and uh, and i think that's that matters the most even in not just in school but in iits also i mean from what i've seen scores don't matter after a while after your first uh, sort of job or first uh, you know scores don't matter i mean if i got a gpa of 7.5 and somebody else got a 9.5 i mean 10 years later that doesn't matter i mean it was how you navigated your journey in your job or your business or whatever yeah. that matter so from so from my experience all the backbenchers of my classes in school all the backbenchers of uh, my graduation in iit they are doing really well yeah. i mean i mean that's that's the that's the stark uh, you know reality of life and those who were mugging the books at all times they are doing all right but you know not so well so you know that's it's amazing that's, how it turns out right it's i yeah, think it's and, we, and we keep pushing our kids for you know better scores and so oh, on so yeah. forth i think yeah. uh, i think that's 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 kind of misaligned yeah i i i completely buy that view and talking about backbenchers i have a similar view uh, it's a pattern which plays out everywhere hmm. i guess there is a there's a thirst and hunger for success which yes, is stronger yes. than a then a feeling of an entitlement that i'm smarter so i'll do better yes so yes. i guess that hunger and the thirst uh, uh, drives definitely definitely, definitely 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 okay so back to 1996 uh, and you so set we, up a broking outfit yes, so we set up a st- broking outfit originally it was set up as a institutional broking outfit so we had a delhi office where the operations were there and we have a very small shared office in mumbai uh, for uh, you know dealing with the institutions so we impaneled by with 96 uh public sector mutual funds were big time into stock yes 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 uh, yes private sector mutual funds had come and and uh, they were F- fii's fii's had FIIs come back fii's had come back right. you know yeah. and they were like uh, you know hong kong based fii's and the us based yeah. several of them so mm-hmm. impaneled with a lot of institutions impaneled with a lot of banking uh, arms investment bank uh, arms so on so forth but within 2 3 years i realized and and i had a vp of Uh, institutional business who should handle things there on the front and i was managing the sort of you know the operations background here at at delhi uh, and i realized that this is really a murky murky business i mean no deal can go through you know without uh, favors and uh, th- those kind of things and uh, when when i had to sort of go uh, deal with a couple of people i said you know i can't do this i mean this is not my way of doing it so gradually moved to corporate business so we had uh, several Did you recollect what was the brokerage commission rate those days you were charging yes so uh, institutional business still was around 50 basis points 0.5% uh, 0.5 yes, 0.25 to 0.5% mm-hmm. uh, retail uh, broking before nsc used to be 2% at least for bombay 
and more for regional once nse came in it came down to about 1% for nse and maybe 1 and a half for bsc uh, because from delhi you needed to have a counterpart in mumbai to uh, to do bsc trades and then of course it kept dropping uh, dropping dropping and uh, maybe to zero thank you mr thank you mr kavath bring it down to zero <laughs> so we started with institutional then we moved into corporate broking so we had several corporates uh, who we were uh, dealing with uh again the same story lot of defaults you know payments not coming through because at that point of time the regulatory and compliance structure was very informal it was a very uh, relationship shaped uh, based business i mean you would buy stocks and you know the payment would not come through or you would sell stocks and the deliveries would not come through and very interesting there is that deliveries used to be in, in physical at that point so my delhi office uh, used to get uh, a you know a, a suitcase full of deliveries collected at my delhi so office the then my my guy, my guy used to go to uh, uh, to mumbai in a rajdhani carrying that entire suitcase go to the nse clearing house submit those get another bag full of deliveries which we bought <laughs> come back to delhi stamp and you know uh, distribute to all the clients over delhi it was a huge process i mean this so no wonder no wonder the rajdhani is always full so <laughs> delhi brokers or the brokers are sending in people yeah i mean i mean if you think about it i mean it the dmat system has revolutionized the way we are trading and and turnover used to be like 200 crores a day and we are now hundreds of crores of uh, hundreds of lakhs of crores of day uh, in turnover so yeah. um, exchanges used to open 11 to 1 brokers used to go play golf after that i mean it was a it was a different life and uh, <laughs> and uh, so th- so things uh, changed a lot after dmat and after you know margining systems came into place there were lesser defaults lesser uh, bad deliveries you know so a lot of lot of things changed after and that and at some stage what was the stage that pushed you from so you you already told us that it was a murky business right yes so yes. i guess you were always facing headwinds because it's a clash with your models and you don't correct, know correct 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 so and then i moved into retail business you know i said retail is still clean Okay. Uh, you're dealing with uh, an individual, and you can always choose to say no or to things. So, from 2000 to 2008, we were doing retail business again, same center, Delhi, very small op- uh, outfit. Did not go into a networking sort of a thing like many others did. Uh, 2008 was, I think, uh, the turning point for the retail business, where after the crash, uh, the business really went very slow, and mm-hmm. uh, the online brokers had started to sort of come in. That's right. Uh, and uh, I think 2010 onwards, Zerodas and the uh, India Bulls of the world had taken over. So by 2011-12, I knew the writing is on the wall, and you know, uh, unless you really go high, high, high technology and high, high, high investing into this yeah. business, uh, this won't last. So between '95, when you came back from the US, and 2010-12. uh when you went back to your college reunion meets and all how 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 did that feel because you were still struggling to make a mark i i would assume and trying to get it right and dealing with this big dilemma do i compromise my morals to hit a higher number so that when i bump into people you know i'm driving in well and you know dressed up well and all that other stuff how did that feel like those things long pace i would say those things never mattered to me uh mm-hmm. even till today uh what others are thinking about me as in terms of success or failure i don't think really uh, i i i i mind that as much mm-hmm. um but of course yes there was a uh, sort of a feeling in the back of the head that did i 
do a right decision by going to getting into business because a lot of my uh, counterparts were cxos at various places you know in mncs in consulting companies so on and so forth so there was always a sort of a thought that did i do it right or not but uh, uh, over time i realized that you know i had my own uh, comfort uh, zone as well and you know I, i've actually lived in this house for 50 years now i mean minus the couple of years outside so you know living with your parents and uh, with your roots uh, there uh, that has its own advantages and uh, and and uh, and there were ups and downs in the business but it was reasonably all right i would say i mean it was not really a, you didn't hit a, hit a six but uh, it it was it was doing all right so 2008 onwards i started to feel that you know the business is really slowed down i also started a bpo on the side i was doing financial transcription for us companies so you know they would do a a, a, a earnings call and overnight you would you know sort of deliver it for them so that was also a good learning phase uh, that came around uh, then i was hit with some personal tra- tragedy my father who was very fit at the age of 67 he got cancer and uh, you know i was involved with his uh, uh, with his procedures for 4 5 years in the hospital so 2009 till 2013 i was practically off from business i was just overseeing it from remotely and uh, obviously when you are sort of not hands off from the business you know it, it it will take a toll on the business itself so after that uh, i was kind of you know sort of rebooted my life after that in the sense that uh, uh, the business went downhill i i shut down the brokerage house uh, my father was uh, uh, you know he, he went away in 2013 and i was also involved in a very peculiar uh, legal case so one company which had demerged in 2007 uh so there were two parts into that from the telecom company that became uh, one operating part and one a hardware part and the operating company got a telecom license and uh, so i invested a lot of money in that you know playing the demerger mm-hmm. uh you know the sum of parts is, is going to be huge and what happened was that the uh this the part that was going to be listed as a as a telecom company never got listed so so imagine uh, buying a listed company and that company getting mer- demerged into two parts and one part never listing back and which was the most valuable part of that uh, company so i went to court against the company there were 18000 shareholders who were stuck like this i went to court i fought a very hard long battle for 7 years there and it was a jaipur uh, registered company so the, the high court of jaipur was handling the case so for 7 years toiled there uh, we were about to win the case it seemed and a huge com- huge penalty was about to be uh, put to the company but they fielded uh, the uh, former finance minister of the country and we lost the case on the on the last day so uh, i mean this along with you know the hospital visits it kind of you know these are very negative places so police law enforcement courts Uh, hospitals these are all very negative energy places where if you go i mean you, all your positivity will get sapped uh, so that 4 5 year period kind of you know re realigned my thinking as to what am i doing you know and i saw so much misery in the hospital obviously i was in the cancer wards i i saw kids uh, you know women old old people young people i was like you know what is this life what what are we doing and you know if, if we suppose somehow end up here uh, and and that can happen anytime then you know was the whole point of it all so i kind of uh, went into a shell 
and i said you know i have uh, some limited capital with me and i can invest and trade and you know make my living uh, don't need a business around me for to, to do that so i kind of gave it up all up in 2013 i was like everything clean gradually just wind up everything and uh, you know just work from home so work from home came for me very very early i was always working from home uh, from that perspective and then i got really bored in a couple of years because earlier there were 20 people employees around me and so on and so forth and thousands of clients and here i was you know sitting and doing my thing on my own uh, so then i started tweeting uh, 2015 16 i started tweeting about you know whatever I, whatever i was doing and uh, these strategies that i had kind of developed for myself to run my own small capital on the so one one of those strategies i said okay i'll i'll disclose it on 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 a blog and i'll put weekly updates on it and if every anybody wants to follow this you know more than welcome so i started doing that and that year turned out to be really good 16 17 for mid and small caps uh, that strategy made something like 52% gains on that so suddenly there was a lot of interest you know what kind of uh, strategy is this what is momentum investing and funnily uh, when i designed all these strategies i never knew that there was something called momentum investing you know oh, it it was just it was just uh-huh. my thought as to how uh, you know one should be going around picking a portfolio how one should be exiting how one should be entering and it, to, to to be honest i thought i had struck gold and you know there was, i had hit something which nobody else had ever thought of you had created the wheel <laughs> you thought <laughs> and later on i found there are <laughs> there are 200 200 years of history in uh, of, of studies around this and you know it's a very established uh, form of investing but nevertheless oh. uh, every every, uh, every every person does it in their own ways and the nuances are different Yeah. but um, you know i i i've had a similar experience when uh, we were doing something in the business and i thought i'd cracked something yeah. until i realized it's you know uh, most people are doing <laughs> it. it's a nice feeling right it's a nice it's, it's, a, feeling. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic feeling it's a fantastic feeling it's a fantastic feeling but uh, tell me something all along you were you got a background you got academics in a different field you were doing broking i guess that gave you exposure to people psychology etc etc but uh, when you were going about building this strategy i don't even think most people understand that they have to build a strategy to invest money uh, how was that process like and what did you have to go through in those couple of years so i think the the experience that i had of seeing how these thousands of clients that i had in the broking company how they fared uh, so i would think you know most people made money by luck and not by design uh a lot of people made money because they were uh you know they got stocks from you know their earlier generation maybe and they were just holding on that was one second was of esops a lot of we had uh, you know uh, clients from levers uh, olgate uh, senior management people uh, as clients so they were getting esops every year so on so forth so that was another way so i found very few clients who could actually maneuver the markets and you know strategically sort of have that compounding effect going and you know also exiting the the lemons once they could identify them very few people had any strategy around it i mean it was more of uh you know luck by chance Mm. and uh, and and maybe sometimes even just sticking to it you know somebody told me to buy these 10 stocks and i'm not going to now never going to get rid of them 
and you know two of them really did well so so studying that behavior over you know uh, one and a half decades i found that you know what and my own investing or trading whatever i was doing also was instrumental in this that uh, position sizing was one major part you know where uh like like this demerger case i i i'm telling you i i kind of went all in you know 50 60 70% of all oh, wow. my exposure into that because it was a gold mine i mean it was a sitting duck but who could have thought that the stock will not list back so you know that kind of a black swan happening you you can never even dream about that i mean today if we buy a demerger story we assume that the both both the uh, stocks will come back and list yeah right so 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 that uh de-risking of of investing uh, saying that whatever may happen you know that stock may not list that stock may go to zero tomorrow that one story should not destabilize your portfolio yeah or whatever may happen to equity markets your overall portfolio should not get de- destabilized to the extent that you know you don't you can't survive so asset allocation became a huge part in my thinking at least Yeah so I know we've spoken about asset allocation a couple of times in the past few years right about other assets I know you have views on gold you yes. have views on property and we'll talk about that uh, on position sizing I think and I I completely agree with you when I talk to people I think more people don't realize their goals because of poor position sizing than by actually picking the right stock or not so they may end up with the right stock but they may absolutely nothing to it and sometimes they have conviction in a stock which is difficult to justify and they may just go you know see, all see, in see uh, usually what happens is in conventional uh, uh, investing uh, is that you you research a stock you ask five people about that stock uh you know you study the history of the stock you look at the balance sheet by the time you come to the decision that you're going to buy it you're already married to it and and you can't back off now yeah so essentially once you are uh, you know uh, sort of uh, totally in and you've uh, researched it you you do you've done uh, you know all kinds of uh, scuttlebutt and uh, you know everything is done and you're married and you're you're in and now you have a bad quarter you know and now the stock is down 30% and of course everything is still all right management is fine everything is fine now is the decision point that whether you know the next quarter is going to be another minus 20 or is it going to recover or whether the next year is going to, and maybe you know the next two years are going to be bad so at what point do you take a call if at all i mean it cannot be in my view at least in today's day and age that you know i don't mind the stock going 80 90% down it will come back in 3 years because the, the the business may get disrupted i mean the the kind of uh, disruption that is out there who knows what can happen in 2 years yeah. so uh, from that perspective this uh, endless wait uh, became very painful for me when i was doing this in early years and i and I, and i kind of thought you know i must reduce this pain somehow and that pain can only be reduced if you have a strategy and if you have diversification you know across uh, stocks and of course asset allocation on top of that so you have several layers of protection if i may got it you know with your core being you know maybe your real estate gold cash that is your core and then you are building layers on top of that and you're saying that even if these layers get peeled off my core should remain strong yeah yeah so uh, so i think uh, uh, what you are saying uh, is that 
typically people approach investing as one stock opportunity as one individual opportunity yes but, uh, what you're saying is that at every point in time you need to look at it in totality and uh, how you control for risk is not just at the stock level you control it at the stock level at the basket of stock level your allocation to stocks and the yes. overall allocation yes. to wealth yes yeah. so there are several layers uh, yeah. fr- from which risk has to be perceived yeah. so yeah. my my sense about anything in life is that whatever i'm doing let's say tomorrow you take that out of my life how do i survive mm-hmm. so you know if that if my equity portfolio is is gone for some reason yeah yeah do i survive do i yeah. you know do i exist yeah so uh, i don't know whether you have a view on this or not but you know uh, these days i see uh, uh, discussions and uh, uh, i think even you were covered in that newspaper where people are discussing how much wealth uh, how much do they invest in stocks right and a lot of people and good for them they are rightly so they say 100% in stocks 90% in stocks zero in real estate zero in gold because india's future is great and i think uh, and i and i think uh, if the readers of the paper actually bind to that i think that they're doing a great disservice to their futures because mm. that the guy who's reached that 90 100% probably hit a jackpot 20 years ago because of which all his wealth is in stocks so and, I, yeah i i would think every person is built differently so mm-hmm. there are people who are happy to have 100% equity exposure and who are happy to have their net worth swing you know plus 100 or minus 50 yeah, i am yeah, not yeah. that guy so yeah, yeah. you know it all depends upon your you know your demeanor, your approach your yeah, demeanor yeah. your approach yeah. your risk taking ability how much swings you want to see in life what is the cost of uh, that volatility that you put to it you know yeah. are, but but uh, you know if you go by the most fundamental thing people don't like losing money i think 95% of the people who will be watching this they are okay with the 10 20% but you know if they if they get nervous if 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 things if the loss seems appears permanent forget it being permanent or not right mm. if it just appears to be yeah, permanent yeah. they're going to shake they're yeah. going to have a problem and i think we saw it in the pandemic times right we are seeing it all the time i mean i mean people's you're... instinct is to sell uh, you know get rid fast before it falls more yeah as yeah. against anything else so and, so i think the key is to understand uh, who and what you are what kind of a stress test can you bear That's i right. think it, yeah. it is best to sort of imagine that what if i go there at that point what happens to me can i survive can i can if the market fall 20% would i panic or would i not panic see banks do the yeah. stress test all the time right you know yeah. if if yeah. the nps go to this level how will i how, how will you come back mm-hmm. so my my approach is always like this you know you put me uh, at the bottom of the well and uh, can i climb back up so that is the sort of uh, approach that i would think because even in uh, practical analogy let's say a drawdown of uh, 20% versus a drawdown of 40% uh if you fall into a ditch which is you know 1 feet deep on the road you will get out of it and walk walk again but if you falling you know 5 feet deep you, you may have difficulty coming back up yeah. so the fall, the deeper you fall the more difficult it is to come back Like, and yeah. and you know and the kind of scars that it will put on your psychology you may not be able to invest post that like one of my colleagues told me many years ago he says remember to make up for a 50% loss you need a 100% yeah, return yeah yeah, yeah. it's it, it, yeah. i mean that's that's the math and also we can't think you know in a compounded fashion i mean we think very li- linearly 
mm-hmm. and hence uh, what we can't see is that a even a 12% return compounded on your portfolio where it takes you in 10 20 years because we are so focused upon each stock doing becoming a multi bagger yeah not focused at all as to how our overall asset allocation is working how our uh, equity portfolio is working because the thrill that we are getting from those individual stocks is actually clouding that entire study of where we are going in totality mm-hmm. so i think my uh, sort of thinking changed when i stopped thinking about individual stocks now they are like as i said many times they are like buses you know named a b and c i don't really care what they are i mean they are like vehicles that i need to you know get on and get off at the right time and that's it i mean i have no no emotion towards that yeah that's interesting you like so in some uh, what is it yogic or what is it you've detached yourself from the emotion of it you, all you have to do it and you have to do it because in a very in a process absolutely uh, a process it's, it's a process system. it is a process yeah. system driven uh, industry i mean mm-hmm. you have to get you know it's like that my portfolio is sitting there and i'm watching it from from a distance mm-hmm. just like you do to a business i mean just yeah. like you set up a business you 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 will watch it and see how it is doing and then you tweak it around and 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 to see where you need to make the changes it gives you, you better perspective if you got distance from that you can actually see it as yes, from, yes, yeah, yeah. yes so i think uh, that uh, helped me a lot in terms of not getting any emotion towards any stock you know because once you are emotionally tied to stock selling is very difficult it's absolutely difficult yeah yeah because all, all, all long term investors know that <laughs> i 15, think there are 15 know. 20 variables coming to you you know there is global factors there are macro factors there is interest rate factors there is uh, you know sectoral uh, pressures there is management there is interest rate cycles how do you manage all these variables you can't right right and you know as a long term investor myself right uh whatever you're saying makes so much sense because we all have held on to stocks we shouldn't have held on to exactly and uh, you know and at the same time we uh, we could end up overestimating our ability to pick up a stock which actually has a 10 year runway because you can't really factor in all the variables i can imagine someone who's devoted full time to studying it every quarter every number and trying to project because we know that works right some i think it takes extra skill it's more difficult than what people think it is it's doable but it's much more difficult it's We, very difficult it's yeah. very difficult i mean how do you how does a person uh, sort of uh, you know expect that you'll come to the market with your capital and you'll make more than you know all the experts around the, around there who are able to make only 12% return or whatever it may be i mean that expectation is unreal unreal yeah 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 Yeah. And, and, yet, and, and, and yet and yet that's and, what draws and, everyone and, to the market <laughs> everybody is coming with that perspective so yeah. the, the point that really uh, you know uh, uh, hits me harder is that fine do long term investing buy and hold all that is fine you are not able to sell that is also fine because some of your winners should be able to make up for that mm-hmm. but but even after you've got multi bags how and where do you sell i mean yeah. is there a is there a plan so yeah. plan is a must i mean even yeah. if you are doing you know uh, discretionary investing you have to have a structure and a plan and most most uh, you know good investors out there have a structure uh, as to when they will exit i mean it's not like uh, they will never exit i mean warren buffett may say that he never exit stocks but he does from time to time he does yeah. yeah 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 and and uh, you know last year i remember 
when the markets were really right up there and i was speaking to some property brokers just to get a feel of what's happening and they said the business is good and it's good because people are booking profits in stocks and moving it to a higher oh, yes, yes. now the guys who were doing that they have a process they have a disciplined yes. approach they're capturing a volatile gain mm-hmm. in a market which is probably near the top of its cycle and moving it to a relatively less volatile asset which is near the bottom of its cycle and and that can only happen once you have a system in place that system okay place, yeah. my equity if it goes beyond 60% of my overall allocation i'll bring it to 50 <clears throat> it can only happen if you have that hard sort of rule in your book and you follow it Oh. you know if if the greed gets better of you that no let it go to 60 70 80 90 then of course uh, you you'll have the same fate as anybody else that's right but uh, yeah i mean that's 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 i think how most successful investors have managed uh, to you know to be rational and 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 you know taking out money or bring, bringing in money at the right, right time i mean why do markets fall because there is no money left to be invested so so at that point of time if you are able to come in Yeah, uh, you should be able to get a a decent out uh, from the market. That's right. That's right. So 2018 is when money control talks with you, and then I think the rest of it is a story which is well known, right? You, you, you hit the six finally. <laughs> What so you again, been doing? Yeah. Again, Sorry. I I would say uh, uh, it, it was just coincidence or or good luck that I I just send a cold mail to small mm-hmm. case. Mm-hmm. you know vasant uh, is is leading uh, the small case yeah, venture vasant kamat yes vasant mm-hmm. kamat and uh, i i just happened to send him a mail that you know you are doing your own research and you have your own products why don't you have uh, you know other advisors also on your platform mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, they took out a new platform and i took up a sebi sebi license and i became their first advisor i mean uh, it, it was just uh, you know as if uh, it Fate. was just Yeah. fate fate i would say yeah it yeah. was just just about that i mean i had no intention of restarting business as a as a business as such mm-hmm. but it just happened like that wonderful very nice so i think that story is well known like i said and uh, but uh, i don't want to spend too much time on weekend investing the business and all that super successful you know let's come back to uh, asset allocation and let's talk uh, gold first You have strong views on gold from our conversations. How do you think about gold, and how should how do you think that people should think about gold, and from a future perspective, what role does it play in the asset allocation mix? So the world is very divided on this topic. Uh, I think the history of gold uh, needs no uh, you know sort of repeating here. Uh, my only one question that i am not able to answer uh, for the critics is that why are central banks holding on to gold why does us have 8000 tons of gold why does europe have you know another 10000 tons of gold why does china have why does russia everybody is accumulating gold india has good 6 700 800 tons of gold why are, why do central banks have gold i mean that cannot be a reason that you know okay we had a gold standard at one point of time and we had some leftovers from that point and hence you know we we not bothered to sell off this inventory yeah, that yeah. we had it can't be that reason right so yeah, yeah. so so gold has an inherent play in the monetary system that is is very well established there is no question about it now the experiment that we started in the 70s where uh, president nixon said that okay we will not back 
the US dollar to gold and US dollar will be printed out of thin air. Uh, that experiment has continued till date. We have had 50, 52 years of that experiment. The way things are today and the kind of, uh, you know, the debt structures that have built over the uh, entire world, interest rate cycles have got disrupted. You know, we are now not able to normalize with higher interest rates beyond a certain point. So right now, maybe interest rates in the US at 1.75 or whatever. I, I have personal doubts that if it, it can go anywhere beyond three. Mm -hmm. The system just cannot sustain it. You know, the yeah. kind of mortgages, mortgage rate is already 6%. Yeah. Uh, the government uh, interest burden, social security burden, so on and so forth. So we've, we've, we've sort of totally molested the entire system by dramatic printing. Now, what happens, uh, you know, once we are not able to normalize? So, so it's like, you know, more stim and, and the government is continuously giving stimulus while we are saying that the stimulus is stopping, it is coming through various other means. Like for instance, inflation linked bonds are available in the US, you know, $10,000 per head that will give you 9% on, on a USD deposit. Uh, so, so there is stimulus that is ha continuously happening and it is unsustainable now, you know, as many uh, researchers have, have, have a point. So, so there needs to be a, a shift from the, you know, the, the dollar denominated reserve yeah. currency system yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and maybe it will be a multi-currency, maybe it will be commodity back, gold back, who knows what it will be. But with the cryptos now sort of, you know, again, uh, getting smashed and not really fulfilling the purpose of maintaining, uh, you know, buying power in an inflationary environment. I think the, the, the focus will now again, come back towards gold. Uh, and the fact that the governments of, you know, 85 or 90 countries are in the process of, you know, issuing or at least studying and implementing CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, I think that will be the game changer where uh, the government gets complete and, you know, totalitarian control over currency. Uh, that I think once that may happen, uh, and already uh, we are able to see that you know there are the polarization of Russia, China, yep. and uh, you know these blocks are getting the commodity-led blocks. Uh, they are gradually moving away from the dollar. Of course, it's a very long process. Yeah. But yep. but ultimately, I think gold will come to a, some sort of a center stage in terms of the monetary uh, policy making. Yep. Uh, and I, I kind and, of agree with that. You know, uh, I've been reading and uh, about this whole geopolitical thing and the fight between the US and Russia and China, it may be fought on the ground, but the real fight is who dominates the world in the future in terms of the, uh, the, the, the flow of money, flow of capital, if you will. Exactly. So uh, I was reading this very interesting, <laughs> interesting article, actually, sorry, that uh, ultimately you could have three spheres of influence, the Western world, the Russia-backed world, and the China-backed world. And I think if that were to happen and the monetary system, see, for the monetary for the dollar monetary system uh, uh, to lose trust, it doesn't have to collapse. It just has to shake a little bit yeah. more yeah. than what people are used to. Correct. And suddenly they will go. Now, where do they go? 
they can't go to a Russia model. They can't go to a China model. And that's when I think that's what you're alluding to is then suddenly something becomes center stage, which is proven and which is agnostic to who's in power. So also my belief in gold is because it is the only asset which has no counterparty risk. So a bar that you hold in your hand has no counterparty risk. Uh, every other asset has a counterparty risk, even the real estate yeah. that you're sitting on, uh, you know, the state controls it. That's right. Yes. You know, so from that perspective, there is no, uh, no other uh, asset of its kind. However, uh, given that, uh, you know, gold standard is not coming back, I, I, that is also pretty clear. But in some format, the valuation of gold will have to be, uh, you know, sort of, it will have to be revalued at some point. Mm-hmm. So that the balance sheets of this of the of the central banks can be uh, sort of repaired, you know. Right yeah, now, it is that's an interesting point you're making. I mean, that's the only way they can repair the balance sheet because an asset which is sitting in their balance sheet, which has not been revalued since, I mean, many central banks are still holding it at thirty-two dollars or something like that per ounce. Okay. So once they revalue that, uh, they will get a huge boost on the asset side in their balance sheets. That will be able be able to bring down the uh, you know the debt uh, percentage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 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 and a lot of governments, if you see, you know, third world governments have been constantly accumulating uh, gold. And very interestingly, I mean, if you see the uh, gold price in local currency for many countries, even like Japan, Japanese folks who have held on to gold have doubled their money in the last three years. Okay, that's because of currency depreciation vis-a-vis the dollar. I would assume yeah. some some gain yeah. in the in the USD gold and yeah. some loss in the currency. in the USD JPY, yeah. and same in Turkey. Same in uh, same happened in Russia when the spike down came. Yeah, uh, Indian gold holders have done really well. I think we don't give enough credit to the average investor in the U- in the in the Indian in ecosystem, yeah. uh, whether he's a he's a you know a village person. Or whether he's a is a middle class person, uh, everybody in India is investing in gold. Gold, yeah. And and gold in a long term average has given you eleven and a half percent CAGR, and yeah. many people don't pay tax on it also. So eleven and a half percent post tax returns for for many Super. is 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 fantastic, and you're compounding. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know there's hardly any risk. I mean the maximum drop that Indian INR gold has ever seen is about twenty five percent. That's the maximum drop it has seen ever. And I think for for people, uh, so Indians are smart. That we've all, we, I think it's built into our traditions now. You have to own, buy, keep buying gold all the time. I think Indians yeah. are smart to the extent that they are willing to give up some part of the gains, but not for not safety. have for safety and and not have too much volatility in their overall uh, assets. Goes goes back to the famous thing: return of capital is more important exactly. than return exactly. on capital. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think India is inherently a weak country. We need capital for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And if you're importing capital, uh, you will be a weak currency. The best hedge is anyways, you know, have some gold. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So that's gold. Uh, what do you think of property? The last time I spoke to you, you said, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, this is a great time to borrow and buy property because then you get money so cheap. <laughs> I actually did that last year. And, uh, I think uh, we are back in that regime where real estate will do well. Um, I yeah. think in the next cycle is turned. Cycle is turned. And we we may have some you know mini cycles up and down, but I think the cycle is turned and and 
and we've consolidated long enough mm-hmm. for all weak hands to shake off yeah and it's now uh, you know the actual consumption led demand that is uh, coming into the real estate i mean it's right. it's not really investment demand that is coming in yeah. and supply actually, and supply is a big issue for the next few years now supply is definitely constrained i mean i was listening to some expert uh, in ncr region and he said beyond a couple of thousand units we have nothing till 2029 so so once that get exhausted i mean there's going to be a, definitely a shift yeah. in the prices and it's already been there Yeah. Uh, so and 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 within the NCR region, for instance, Delhi has not moved. Will you believe that Delhi has not moved? But Gurgaon has moved like fifty, seventy percent at some places. So because yeah. Delhi is not growing at all, and Gurgaon is the growth uh, sort of uh, suburb uh, to yep. Delhi. Noida is growing. Gurgaon is growing. Ghaziabad is growing. Yeah. But Delhi is stagnant. Yeah. So, so real <laughs> estate uh, <clears throat> at the right location is also important. I mean. Yeah, uh, real estate uh, anywhere may not locate, work. Like like they say in real estate, you know the uh, the the three most important uh, location, 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 location. Absolutely. Okay, you have it a brief on the real estate. But uh, tell me something, uh, Alok. Uh, uh, property real estate goes back to the point that you should have a strategy at some point in time to capture your gains. Uh, you can capture the gain and move to different stocks. You can move to different asset classes. You can move to gold, property, etc. What other thing when you look at allocation? uh what other thing fits into this you got property you got gold you got of course you got a stock portfolio which is trying to ride and generate the income and the wealth what else do you mix in this uh, uh nothing actually so this practically so, this is so it. i just keep i i just try to keep things very simple i'm i mm-hmm. just don't like complexity in life i i like very very simple things mm-hmm. uh you know no nonsense things uh, things don't get you into any dispute with anybody There yeah. should not be any. <laughs> avoid know, all conflicts. Avoid all conflicts. You know, just yeah. keep it very simple. Uh-huh. Um, and even asset allocation, ideal asset allocation is one third, one third, one third. That's all. I mean, just, yeah. just, just do that and rebalance at the end of each year. I mean, if if, if equity goes up too much, re- rebalance out of it into other things. And if something else goes up, uh, rebalance into 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 the other asset classes. Uh, that's so what, that's the this, idea. So I shared this earlier in this same podcast series. uh you know we spoke to mark faber uh, several years ago okay. in fact i'm going to be speaking to him next month again uh, great great and he had said that in all his experience the best allocation is 25 25 25 25 okay 25 stocks 25 property 25 bullions uh-huh. and 25 cash okay 25 cash okay there you go he said he says all other stuff it doesn't i think work. in indian market we are very fortunate to have uh, instruments like the sovereign gold bonds Yes. Uh, they actually are replicating uh, both the the bullion as well as the bond nature of the instrument. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if 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 in a long term basis, if I'm able to get, you know, eleven point five percent on gold, and the government is willing to pay me two point five percent more on that. Yeah. I mean, what more could one ask for? I mean, that two point five percent is taxable. The eleven point five percent is tax free. I mean, yep. that's a fantastic outcome. from a from an asset class which gives you a volatility of maybe to 20% on the downside if if at all yeah, yeah. so if i remember and you should share that uh, with our listeners when i spoke to you about uh, bond you said that though the government issues the bond at the gold price you can actually buy it at a discount in the secondary market yes yes so huh? this is a great um, sort of lacuna if i may say or a, or a, uh, a market inefficiency where the listed 
sovereign gold bonds are always trading at a discount in the market so if the current gold price is let's say 5100 you'll be able to get a bond at 4900 for instance so you'll get a 3 4 5% kind of a discount in the market of course you want to be a long term holder to to sort of you know get the benefits of that mm-hmm. uh, but uh, if you're willing to you know hold on to maturity then you should be able to capture that inefficiency and there's no point of going to the primary issuance if the secondary issuance is available yeah, yeah. and the secondary issuance now is so so many of contracts that you can get something which is maturing in 23 24 25 so it depends upon the kind of window or the runway you want to see you can, you can get the additional return for the discount that it's trading at absolutely 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 okay so i'm moving forward now let's let's talk of uh, some interesting stuff what was your first uh, uh, you think in buckets actually i shouldn't ask you which was your first trade because you're thinking in terms of uh, baskets of stocks yes, you're not yes, thinking individually yes. uh, so i'm going to unwind that question do you remember your first investment if you uh, whenever you made it and how did it turn out i think must have been sometime in 1996 i i must have done some trades i think i don't think it was an investment uh, it was always meant to be a trader <laughs> there was a goar gum company uh, vikas wsp it oh. used to go up and down up and yeah. down like that wow i think i yeah. traded that as my first trade so if so. you traded that you are you, you are the trader because that was one of the <laughs> most speculative stocks very speculative it's very <laughs> speculative I, i i don't know i don't remember if i if i made money or lost money but yeah that was the first trade i get it yeah well if you don't remember it you probably made some money uh, if probably, you yeah probably. if you lost a lot of money is very yeah, difficult yeah, to forget yeah. those things uh here's a question which i've asked before and uh, kind of thought provoking why do you do this what's the purpose uh, behind your doing all that you do good question um frankly after that uh, episode of uh, uh, you know 2013 where i kind of gave up everything i restarted this to you know sort of engage myself and and sort of have a uh, sort of fulfilling for some fulfillment in life you know otherwise it would have gotten really empty uh so it was not the growth or the money or the business that caused me to come here but i would say i am more like a you know go with the flow person i don't really plan too much i have no plans where i would like you know the typical question where you want to see yourself in 5 years 10 years i, guess, I, have, yeah. i have no idea so mm-hmm. so i'll go with the flow uh, i want to enjoy you know whatever i'm doing uh, and then just see where it takes me so uh, i don't really have an answer to why i'm doing this you're basically uh, trying to find purpose and meaning in what you're doing all the time and where that yes. leads you is where so that what, leads you you're yeah not- so whatever you're doing do it right Do it, uh, do it objectively do it morally mm-hmm. uh and then just leave it i mean just let it go wherever it goes i mean if if i mean so far if i see just this last 5 6 years i could not have imagined 5 years back that you know weekend investing would have this kind of a uh, a, a, a following or a business uh, base i could yeah. not have imagined that so 5 years later whether we you know go Uh, x times from here or or you know the business model changes and we do something else i don't know uh, i really can't say 
tell me about family uh how many kids do you have one daughter one daughter so are you are you grooming your daughter in any way about uh, all this you are thinking about allocation investing trading no uh, so uh, consciously no but i think maybe because of the environment uh, because of the conversation because of the uh, because my wife also works with me in weekend investing so she handles all the taxation compliance regulation etc et and i handle the front end and we have a small team she does the so, more difficult part of the work okay got yeah, it <laughs> yeah so so she's the sort of the anchor uh, yeah. around mm-hmm. which everything is uh, rotating and uh, i think just the environment around that uh, my daughter would have picked up and she i i remember in her when she came to 11th grade she asked me whether she should go for a commerce uh, stream or a science field and she was a good student uh, so her her so i didn't want really to you know push her into any direction which she didn't want to but i said that my experience has been that having come from a science background having done engineering everything these are all building blocks and ultimately what i've seen is that most people end up doing a lot of finance a lot of uh, you know business uh, from that perspective so i guess she got influenced and she went to a business school after that and and to commerce and uh, you know so on and so forth yeah. but uh, uh, i think uh, there has been a sort of a subconscious or unconscious uh, sort of uh talk about uh, finance portfolio the environment the environment i guess diffusion diffusion coming back diffusion but <laughs> but uh, but yeah. now she works for a, for a crypto company so she she works for a cryptocurrency company in the us wow oh, how did you take that <laughs> huh? so so it was not my call not my calling <laughs> uh i i just want to you know sort of let her flow in her flow whichever way she would like to flow and and discover life on her own i had a similar conversation with my uh, elder daughter just a few months ago hmm. she is entering the ninth and they have to decide whether to take science or yes, economics yes. or whatever and she came to me i said i am not going to give an answer you can ask me any question you want but i am not going to give an answer right so right. um she didn't have many questions because i guess they are all friends and they are talking and understanding yep. but there must have been some diffusion because she took economics and yes. uh, she took that line yes absolutely um, but, and kids but, yeah. are very smart these not just uh, our uh, school going kids but yeah. you know the youngsters that i interact with on twitter i mean the kind of knowledge some of these kids have i didn't have till the age of 50 that's you know right. i, I mean 25 26 year olds they know everything yeah and uh, and that's that's very heartening to see actually yeah. you have to give them a chance to fly this let them be absolutely yeah yeah this encourage them Okay, so uh, cryptos. By the way, are you in? Are you a crypto believer, non-believer, agnostic? Where do you stand? I believe that the technology that they use can be put to very good use, but I have absolutely don't believe that it has any role in terms of the monetary system. Okay, so you are the, if I may, over, at the risk of oversimplification, you are a believer in the blockchain. Yes, but not yes. in the concept of it being a currency or. that's right uh, you know that's right. That's yeah kind kind i kind of agree with that uh, we are going to be sharing this on twitter so <laughs> i <laughs> that's fine that t- yeah. twitter knows my twitter knows my preference twitter knows your views yeah yeah so it's uh, i don't know whether this helps uh, uh, make the case or not but uh, people these days i find if they believe in it they're not willing to accept an opposing opinion right it's do you feel it's become a little more extreme in certain things 
either you if you're a believer you're also a non believer in the other person's view it's you know to my I mind think, i think this is a product of the social media sort of interactions and uh, the ways and way how we uh, interact with people there because you know we are not physical physically present and we are remotely trying to you know uh, push our view and unless we sort of stick with our view we'll be seen as you know wavering and so on and so forth so it's kind of the environment that causes people to be that way yeah uh, and, and societies are becoming very polarized i mean uh, uh, whether it's a western world uh, even in india for that matter yeah uh, there's a lot of polarization happening because of this uh, Yeah. and for people who are avoiding uh, uh, conflict or strong discussions it's, it's getting increasingly tough <laughs> absolutely absolutely totally yeah. totally talk about the people you admire in any sphere of life uh, sphere agnostic so i think uh, i without sort of identifying those people i think the qualities that i admire are where whatever position that you may have reached in terms of success in business success in uh life uh as such in terms of knowledge that does not change your sort of you know their core uh you remain the same person um uh, uh, that that they that you know your your core belief system is not changing because of your recent change in external factors external factors yeah. i think people who can stick on to that i mean i really like uh, that uh, aspect in many and many leaders i think even corporate leaders are of similar uh, makeup where you see that you know they are humble they're down to earth uh, you know they'll they'll travel in a simple car and uh, they don't really care about all the you know the paraphernalia around them uh, so on so forth so i think that that really uh, uh, impresses me the most yeah i wonder whether uh, whether those things uh tantamount to being distractions and which only adds to the success of these people like warren buffett lives in the same house drives the same car you know you're living in the same house for all these years there's so many less things to worry about right uh and that gives you the space to actually become really good at the things you want to spend time on yes that's true that's true so i mean again from time to time from age to age your preferences or your likings for doing things will change you may want to travel in a certain decade you may want a, 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 a bigger uh, house at some point when your kids are growing up uh, so on so forth so i mean your uh, indulgences will change uh, from from as you age but uh, at the core if you are able to you know sort of stay grounded stay humble you know respecting other people whether they are at 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 your uh, uh, level of competence or not i mean i see like a lot of people you know would give me respect just because you know for those of the institution that i come from you know the but that should not be the case really i mean every person has done uh, you know whatever they had to do in terms of their education etc yeah. but we have some very stereotypes uh, of uh, or or branding of that kind i think that 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 can be avoided yeah. <laughs> like uh, just to sort of make the same point what you were saying is that uh, you can really lead a very nice happy life 
if you follow these basic simple principles right don't over complicate respect uh, everyone absolutely absolutely you know and and i think yeah. that and i and i want to and i still want to make the same point i think this in effect adds to what you do because i think a person who is bothered about so many other things can't really have the space to really excel on what he is doing right that's right i mean your singular focus Yeah. Uh, comes only when there's less distractions. Yeah. You remember the famous uh, uh, Barack Obama interview, right? Uh, of course, we all knew that, but he showed it in practice. So someone yeah, asked yeah. him, "Why do you only wear the black suits?" Uh, he says, "Because then I have one less thing to think about." Absolutely, in the absolutely. And and yeah. many of them have done that. I think I think uh, yeah. even uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg wears the same clothes, and uh, yeah. Steve Jobs yeah. used to wear the same clothes. That's right. Uh, so yeah. Several of them have uh, you know gone that way. just less uh, decision just making less decision yeah. making yeah. yeah so there's a very nice uh, a prayer in our uh, jain religion i'll 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 share a paragraph with you mm-hmm. sure, uh, please that comes to mind that i mean that is really the sort of driving uh, sort of principles or where you would want to be you know so it goes like this ki ahankar ka bhavna rakhu nahi kisi par krodh karu dekh dusron ki bharti se kabhi na irsha bhav dharu रहे भावना ऐसी मेरी सरल सत्य व्यवहार करूं बने जहां तक इस जीवन में औरों का उपकार सो दिस इज लाइक वन पार्ट ऑफ दैट एंटायर प्रेयर व्हिच काइंड ऑफ समराइजेस द एंटायर थिंग यू नो दैट यू मस्ट स्टे ग्राउंडेड एंड एंड रिस्पेक्ट अदर्स एंड जस्ट डोंट गेट यू नो जेलस डोंट गेट जेलस ऑफ अदर्स जस्ट स्टे सिंपल एंड ट्रू टू योरसेल्फ एंड 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 थिंग्स विल जस्ट बी राइट दैट्स दैट्स अ वेरी गुड थॉट uh and uh, i'll try and see if i can quote that uh, if i can pick up that somewhere and uh, quote that i'll, I'll send it to you no no that'll be helpful okay uh reading other than twitter what what are you reading and what do you think people should be reading i am a very poor reader mm-hmm. i hardly used to read books uh uh in my uh, college or school days but post post the business some books i have read maybe uh, okay. some of the great uh, you know uh, wall street books you, the usual ones uh, some uh, books about uh, trend following or you know some trader books but not really so i think the reading that i get out of uh, twitter and the blogs slash articles uh, linked on twitter that is a lot of reading it in itself and uh, uh, the book format reading is probably not for me so i don't do much of that but the variety of issues that uh, one is able to read on twitter i think that gives you a very good sort of ensemble of you know whether it is geopolitics uh, whether it is uh, you know monetary system whether it is uh, you know reading about cbdc's whether it is reading about uh, investor behavior yeah uh, so on so forth so i i i do very eclectic sort of uh, spread out reading not particularly any genre or any um, type of uh, this is also a good example of that you can actually use social media to your advantage right you can get sucked into a direction which just is a waste of time or you could make it a platform where you curate the people you are following and you know sure, and sure. when they share great stuff you can uh, learn from it absolutely absolutely yeah okay uh here's something which uh, i uh, 
kind of gauged from your Twitter handle, you are an India optimist. Did I get that right? You yes. you just seem to believe that there's so many things that are happening which are right, and uh, which are laying the foundation for and all these years of uh, for India's growth. So just uh, in conclusion, I think we already way over time, but in conclusion, talk to me about how you think of India, and uh, what do you think? What do you think the future looks like? I think you're right that I am inherently optimistic on the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel extremely. Uh, I think. I think I am not able to understand how people can be detached to their country. Uh, I just feel very naturally attached to it. Um, I don't know how and why, but um, you know, if uh, if I think about it, I think there's a lot of right in our country in terms of uh, fairness. Um, but of course there is niggling issues of daily uh, processes that irks most people um but the larger issues of you know people being mostly peaceful mostly harmonious mm-hmm. i think these are big things uh, in terms of where you want to live your life i mean if you are living in an environment where you know things change from one decade to the other dramatically which they are in several parts of the world yeah. that's very difficult actually and uh, from that perspective i think and the way india has handled itself in the last i would say 14 years since uh, we had that financial crisis and uh, of course the recent covid crisis also i think of course some some uh, blunders may have happened on the way also but largely i think for the kind of population that we have i think we've done quite well uh, the fact that we are able to support uh, you know some 800 million people right now on on food grains uh, the fact that we have managed so far to reasonably control inflation whereas you know supposedly much uh, more advanced economies are at you know uh, double digit teen inflation levels already and unable to control at all despite us being totally dependent upon energy uh, requirement so i think india is doing quite well and uh, and uh, and in- indians are also doing quite well um i happened to uh, visit some uh, villages in haryana a few years back and to my surprise i found that uh, things were not as as uh, bad as i one would expect you know there were roads there was power there was uh, there was portable water people were uh, uh, having their basic needs there was transportation available so things have changed and maybe living in cities we don't realize but things are changing very fast and that uh, dramatic push when it comes <laughs> from that a uh, large section of people yeah that i think can catapult us uh, definitely into a into a new sphere and that's probably the reason why we never really go into a recession 
I mean, worst case scenario, we go to a five percent year. Best case scenario, that's a recession for India, huh? That's a recession for India. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, from that perspective, we are very resilient, very yeah. very resilient, and resilience is built into our own self. Each individual is also very resilient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, how many people you know yourself, you know, who may have over leveraged and gone bankrupt. I don't know anybody. Yeah, that's right. I mean. and 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 if i think about it uh, about my counterparts in the us or somebody i mean the, every third person could it's you, you could it's par for the course yeah par for the course so so from that perspective we are very resilient uh, people we are uh, tolerant uh, to a extent that while there is debate about tolerance uh, i think we are extremely tolerant hmm. uh, yeah and uh, not just in terms of any particular uh, uh, religious matter but in terms of life in general we are tolerant we are, the, the road is broken we are tolerant about it yeah, you know yeah. and, uh, so so from that perspective i find that life here is quite peaceful um and uh, of course there is always scope of tremendous growth and tremendous improvement um, but i would not uh, want to live anywhere else for sure yeah i kind of agree with what you're saying but what the the other side of this alok is that it surprises me that most of the world at least most of the world that uh, we come across in terms of our discussions or what we see uh does not appreciate most of the change and the stuff that's happening in india right uh we may read uh, fii saying india's future is great but most of the geopolitics just completely you know ignores india looks down upon india and uh, i think that that's has changed up, it's changing it's, 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 i i give you that yeah. uh, you can see it's changing and you can see the difference that it has but uh, uh i don't think it's still fa- it's reached a fair level no no not, not of, at all your body should be reflective of uh, yeah. what india has done you know we avoid almost all the crisis i don't remember you know Absolutely. most countries like in this uh, uh, in the pandemic phase if you look at uh, most of the apiers india's peers they all had the currency shattered they were all struggling with all kinds of problems and you know to be of course in india there was distress but we have come out at the other side of the pandemic largely unscathed yeah unscathed yeah largely unscathed absolutely and i don't think people even you know they just ignore so, that so uh, so i think it's easy to sort of uh, you know call out the shortfalls yeah but at the same time one should also look at the positives and i think there are there are a lot of positives there is i agree and then the media of course uh, 99% of the media is hell bent upon you know uh, the narrative of the negatives yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so there needs to be a a a, a, a sort of a balancing uh, it's also because i think negative negativity sells better absolutely i remember absolutely. someone tried this right was it in india or was it in the us they came out with a newspaper with only news that was good <laughs> have you seen that they so i uh, so i saw this in singapore i was visiting uh-huh. singapore uh-huh. and i just just happened to pick up the local newspaper mm-hmm. and i couldn't find a negative news i mean yeah, every page that i flipped it was all but, about but, but in know, singapore how... is different it could be like the government uh, regulation over there <laughs> yeah probably is yeah. probably is but mm-hmm. uh, what it does is although that is also not right to you know just have positive uh, yeah that's right yeah, things, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but it does give you a lot of uh, you know uh, sort of positivity inside 
yeah yeah you know instead of what you read what you consume is basically what you'll think about that's right so from that point of view i think a balance is 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 definitely required yeah yeah so i think on uh, 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 i think on that uh, note on which you've given us a very nice summary of what you think about india what's happening uh, i'll call this podcast to a close and i thank you for your time is way over time i asked you for an hour and we are nearly at <laughs> one and a half hours but talking to you has been wonderful same many here, lessons and a prayer which uh, which has deep deep meaning more than anything sure. else i guess so thank you very much alok for taking thank the you, time thank you rahul thank you so much Wonderful. it was great chatting with you super yeah. take care bye thank you for listening to the investor hour i am very excited to hear what you have to say about this episode or the podcast in general be sure to write to me at info@equitymaster.com that's i n f o at @equitymaster.com thank you once again and see you at the next edition of the investor hour this was a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hd smartcast